You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning, River. That is such a great reminder. We serve King Jesus, and uh, He indeed is coming back. In fact, uh, we're going to end our service this morning with the Lord's Supper, and that's uh, something that He reminds us. As long as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember His death till He comes, till that very return. Hope you are doing well, and uh, this uh, beautiful fall, the leaves are looking pretty, and uh, certainly nice outside, and hope you're enjoying that kind of weather before the snow indeed does fly. This morning, I'm starting a, a new series with 2 Corinthians, and I'm, well, I'm calling it This is Church. How many of you have seen the show, even in passing, This is Us? Do you know the TV show I'm talking about? I always find these interesting, so like only a couple of you guys? Okay, half of you or so, okay, half of you, maybe not. I haven't, I've watched a few episodes, so I don't know the show well. What, there's like three or four kids, right? And it shows their life as adults, and then it kind of flashes back to their life when they were kids with their parents. And it just, from what I can tell, it's just walking with them through all the stuff of life, right? Just all the whatever's going on. That's kind of what Paul is doing this morning with uh, 2 Corinthians. We, we walked through 1 Corinthians a couple of years ago. I don't remember exactly now. And boy, did they have the stuff that they were working through. They were just, they were just kind of messed up. They were really a dysfunctional church. And Paul is writing another letter to them. And he's kind of, he's had some other correspondence with them in between. And they seem to be kind of figuring things out. But he's got a, just a few more stuff things he needs to work through. A lot of a lot of books in the Bible have very discernible themes. You know, the, the book of Romans is all about salvation. If you really want to understand how salvation works, how people are saved and how that happens, you, you read through the book of Romans and it step by step unpacks all of that. And, and the, the gospels are all about Jesus and his salvation for us. And, and, and the Flip, book of Philippians is all about joy and so much of those things. And so many books have specific things. Second Corinthians... Not so much. It's just stuff. It's just like, this is church. This is the stuff you deal with with church, all right? So that's kind of the, the, the to set the stage of what we're going to be going through over the next two or three months about just some different things. And this morning in particular, Paul starts out, apparently the church was struggling with processing how to deal with difficulties and afflictions in life. And uh, I can imagine that they were struggling, and, and we often do. Like, right, when we go through a hard time, we're like, God, is there something wrong? Have I, have I offended you? Is there, like, when we go through trial after trial, and you can, you know, begin going through that, you can almost begin to feel like somehow God is not blessing you, that God is not loving you well, and like you're trying to make sense of all these difficulties. And Paul is just helping them to understand the purpose and what God is doing in their life through affliction. And the big thing that we're going to see this morning is that God is the God of all comfort. He's a God of comfort. So read with me if you would. Look at first, or 2 Corinthians, excuse me. 2 Corinthians, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't usually jump past verses 1 and 2, kind of the introductory, but we're going to do that this morning because... We, I talked a lot about that when we did Second Peter and, and, and some other passages, but Paul introduces himself, tells that he's writing to the church in Corinth, which is there in modern-day Greece. In fact, uh, all the, the Christians that were in kind of that region of southern Greece, and, and then he jumps right into it in verse 3, and that's where we're going to go. The Bible says this in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Not some, but all. Not some types of comfort, but all comfort. Significant. The next five verses, he mentions this word ten times. I think he really wants us to get this idea of comfort into our hearts. So listen, he goes on and he says this about the God of all comfort. In verse 4, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us so we can turn around and comfort anybody else in their affliction with that exact same comfort that God gave to us. In verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I never lax when the Bible tells us about the challenges that we live, that we're going to suffer as a, as a follower of Jesus. There's that popular teaching today that, well, if you're a Christian, everything's easy and it should all come to you. And the Bible tells us actually the opposite. We're going to suffer and go through affliction. But he also tells us if you go through a lot of affliction, a lot of suffering, guess what? You're going to have a lot of comfort. A lot of comfort coming your way. And don't miss that either, he says. He says in verse 6, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings. We don't like that part. When we patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope is for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Hey, pray with me, would you? Father, I'm grateful that you are the God of all comfort. I'm grateful that you are the God of mercies. And Lord, would you make these verses real into our life? Lord, we need your comfort. Every one of us go through trials and sufferings, afflictions, stress, difficulties. And Father, we need your presence in our life. And Lord, would you in turn help us to share that with those around us. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, three, three things I want you to notice this morning. Three reasons why you and I go through affliction. You know, it's normal for us as people to, when we're going through difficult times, to kind of look around like, why? This doesn't make any sense. Why do I have to go through this, right? Kids, kids wonder that when you as mom and dad, when your kids were little, like, you got to do this. They're like, why? <laughs> why? I don't want to have to do this. And we don't want to as adults either. God, why, why do I have to go through this pain? Why do, why, why, what's the purpose behind this? Three simple purposes that I think will help you and I to really grasp some deep truths in our lives and if you grasp these things in your life, you'll be able in turn to comfort and help those in the lives around you. Every one of us this morning, I, I, I believe firmly this, I didn't send out a little survey, but maybe I could have done that. But I, I believe that every one of us right now are either personally going through some affliction, maybe severe, maybe not quite so severe, or we know somebody who's going through some real aff affliction, suffering, Trials, tribulation, this Bible word for affliction means kind of a pressing in, almost squeezed together under, think about it under tremendous pressure. And we know as people, as we go through life, that the pressures begin to mount. 
college students, when they graduate, you know, feel like, oh, finally, I'm, you know, I'm out from under that pressure. And then they, as they move through young adult life and into adult full, you know, adult life in mid-20s and, and, and on, they begin to experience even more in life. I don't think the pressure ever gets less, does it? I think the responsibilities and challenges build. Am I, am I wrong? Some of you that are a little older than others, it doesn't get less, it gets more, correct? Paul is telling us this morning, he says, guys, we, you need to understand these truths because God is a God of all comfort. So the first purpose this morning is, is that affliction, those stress points, that pressure, that tribulation, that trial that we go through, whether it's specifically for persecution because of our faith in Jesus or it's general in life, it reveals to us, number one, it reveals to us the character of God. It reveals to us God's character. Look where Paul starts in verse, verse 3. He just right off the bat, he says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. See, he knows there's afflictions, that he's writing to people who are afflicted. I'll read the, the following verses in just a minute, just as Paul impacts his own trials and right up unto death, thought that he was going to die, and, and, and as he walked and lived through that. But what Paul is fixating on right off the bat is, says, guys, I want you to look at God in this picture. I want you to see God. You see, when you and I are going through the afflictions and the trials and the difficulties in life, we tend to put our head down. We don't tend to lift our head up. We tend to look down at it, and Paul is lifting their heads up. He says, look, guys, I don't, we're not, I'm not going to get into all the details about all the challenges and the difficulties you have in, in life and the, the maladies that you're suffering and the, all of those things. Paul's not making light of those things, but what he's doing is subtle but powerful and profound and significant, and he's saying, turn your head a different direction and look up. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice three things that he says quickly that he's trying to get our attention and to focus us in. He says, blessed is that God who's the Father of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's subtly helping us think about our Lord Jesus who gave His life for us on the cross and our salvation. You see, our thoughts as they focus there should help speak into our affliction. He's reminding us of our salvation, that our soul is secure. He's reminding us that he, Jesus has accepted us and put us into a relationship with God and put us into a secure place. And He's wanting to touch our mind, our emotions, our heart, all of our being, and to turn our head toward Him. And then He shifts it subtly, and then He says, Blessed be that God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is also, also, the Father of mercies. Notice he doesn't say mercy, singular, just generic, kind of like vanilla ice cream. Do any of you just really like vanilla ice cream as your thing? Any of you? Okay. Uh, chocolate, right? Death by chocolate, Rocky Road, cho anything chocolate, right? Okay. Paul doesn't give us vanilla ice cream with mercy this morning. He says mercies, plural. He doesn't just say, eh, generic mercy comes your way. He says, guys, God has specific, individual, multiple mercies that come into your life 
And God's the source of all of those mercies. Multiple individual things. He wants us to realize that these are specific and tangible and finite and powerful and profound, that there's multiple things that come your way. It's the, same, it's the, the compassion of God that comes in little things into your life that are directly from God to you. And to take stock of those things in the middle of the afflictions and challenges and difficulties in life. And then and the verse that comes to my mind, the same exact word is used in Romans 12, 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That verse is significant in the book of Romans because Romans 1 through 11 is unpacking the details of all of salvation. And Paul in that one little phrase says, now that I've told you all of this amazing stuff that's all summed up in one word, God's mercies to you, now I'm going to talk to you about how we should live as a result of it. A big division point in Romans. So what, what, what Paul is reminding us of here, in this one little word, mercies, is like 11 chapters of Romans where he's talking to us about. He says, guys, you were sinners before God, but God saved you. He redeemed you. He sent His own Son Jesus to die on the cross for you. He adopted you. He freed you from the law of sin and death. He released you. And He unpacks all of the, the life change that we have and the Holy Spirit in our life and all of that phenomenally through Jesus. You see, when you and I are going through afflictions, God is wanting to turn our heads to Him and to be reminded of all of the amazing things that He's done in our life. If you're in the middle of affliction right now, maybe you ought to go back and read through Romans and just kind of catch that. Sometimes we ought to read the Bible in huge chunks just to catch, catch the sweep of it. Sometimes we need to dig in and look at the details, but maybe you need to go back through and read that. He says, look, the afflictions reveal the character of God. They remind us that our salvation, they remind us of God's mercies. And in the middle of that, it then leads us out of those mercies, leads us to God's comfort, His comforting hand. That, that word doesn't just mean to kind of console. It can mean that, you know, like we might try to console a, a colicky baby, you know. But it, it means to, to come alongside. It means to support, to, to lift up, if you will. The house that, that, that we're, as you guys have heard, that we are always remodeling uh, was, was built, I don't know exactly when, but pre-1890. A guy stopped by our house recently with metal detector in hand like, hey, I like to visit old sites, and do you mind if I look for some old cool stuff in your yard? You know, we were apparently on the map and all of that, and I said, sure, as long as you let us see. I mean, I'm not going to find this stuff anyway, you know, and uh, all he found was apparently a flashlight we had lost and uh, a muzzle loader around apparently that I had lost in the front yard just the year before, and he said, well, this one was five inches down. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know how it got there, but that was mine <laughs> you know, just last year. This was not a big archaeological dig. But anyway, well, the, the guy that we bought our house from is old. You know how old houses are? They, they sag and they, you know, things just the move and the timbers aren't supported well. And the guy that we bought our house from said the, the ceiling went like this. It bowed down and the floor bowed like that. And he put a piece of steel. In fact, there's a beam that runs in the middle of our house, a piece of, uh, of steel to kind of straighten everything out. And he hit it with wood. And it looks nice, but underneath that, there's lolly columns in the walls. And you go down in my basement, and there's lolly columns in my basement just holding all of that up. What Paul is telling us is that God holds us up, that He's the, the Father of comforts. 
that he comes alongside into our life. And that which is falling, that which is failing, that which is falling apart, he comes alongside and he strengthens us. And this is, this is a, across the board. This isn't just a, some of you guys are very, I don't know if it's right brain or left brain, if anyone really fully knows. This is not just logical stuff. This is also that emotional, relational feeling side, like God comes and comforts us at all of those levels. He's that kind of God, and He supports us. You see, when you and I go through the afflictions, that's when God shows up. That's when God's character is revealed to us. So when you and I are walking through that stuff, we need to turn around somehow and you say, wait a minute, I remember something that Sean told me, told us months or years ago. I'm going through it right now. And I need to look up. Because what God is doing through those afflictions is He's trying to reveal the true character of Him to you in a very personal, very real, very tangible, very profound way. See, God doesn't want to be just some abstract God, some thought that you've read in a book somewhere. He wants to be a God that's real in your life. And so when you and I are walking through that, we should turn around and it should cause us to, to praise and have joy in God in the middle of the affliction. Sean, I, I struggle to praise God when I'm in the middle of it and the thick of it and all of that. I do too. But the reason it's a struggle is because my eyes are down here and I'm going into all the details and through all of that. Maybe your friend, when your friend is, we'll see in a minute, we're supposed to comfort others. When they're, when they're dealing with all of those things, maybe God would use you to gently to help them to ask the question or to see, you know, where's God in all of this? What do you sense God is trying to do in your life right now? God never wastes suffering. He never wastes or neglects trials and tribulations and afflictions and difficulties. And all of them, He's always drawing us to Him to reveal Himself into our life so that we might know Him even more. And we might even be even more poised, we'll see by the time we're done, to share that same comfort and hope with others. And it should cause in our life a worship and praise to what Paul says. He says, guys, I went through it and I carried a death sentence in me, but I am blessed God and praise God because He's shown Himself to be true in the middle of all of that. That's the first thing that God does, first purpose in these afflictions. So it means that you and I should get our eyes off of this, not ignoring it, not not taking it for granted or acting like it's not happening. I'm not talking about putting on some sort of Christian self-image like, oh, life's great, you know, you know, smile, say cheese, do a nice Facebook selfie so that everybody thinks you're good. Deal with reality, but in it there should be a genuineness connection in your heart that God is working. Second reason that God gives us these afflictions, second purpose behind them, is He wants to purify our faith. He wants to purify that. You see, the bigger the affliction, the more pure God is trying to work into our faith. The, the hotter the fire, the more those impurities begin to 
bubble up. And God wants those things to surface so they can be skimmed off, so that they can be removed. He's trying like a, a refiner's fire, trying to purify us and grow us in the middle of that. And notice that what Paul said. He's that, he said this. He says, he says the whole point that, that I went through this, that it's for our hope. In fact, he says in verse 7, he says, our hope for you is unshaken. He says, I know that you're going to have tremendous hope that, that God is working on you, that God is, is, is going to, you're going to make it, and God is going to work in your life, that, God, that He is the one who's trying to purify and to work through all of these things. There's a, a purpose behind it. That he, he wants to purify where our hope really is. You see, what God is doing is he's, he's removing those things, bringing those things to light that we've hoped for that are separate from Him. So when you surrender your life to Jesus and put your faith and trust in Him, you in essence are giving God a blank check in your life. You're saying, God... I'm a sinner who deserved nothing but death and separation and hell apart from you. But God, I put my faith and trust and my hope in you that Jesus saves me with what he did. And God is a, a part of that. I belong to you. You are my Lord. And so we, if you will, God, we don't do anything to be saved. Really, God is the one who does all of that salvation in us. We, we turn from our sins and we believe we repent and believe, but God does all the heavy lifting. But in essence, we're giving Jesus full authority over our life. But even though that we do that, there's still in our life stuff, junk, right? Things that we hope in. We still put our hope and our trust in things that are other than God. And God, for the rest of our life, it purifies us and refines that, showing us that those things aren't worthwhile. And what affliction does, that suffering and those difficulties and those challenges and all of that pressure and that stress in upon us, what God is doing is showing us that those things that we've held on to, those things that we've put our hope in, those things that we're trusting in other than Him, those things that are priorities in our life. He's showing us that they're not worth anything. Don't you, when you begin to feel, I mean, the real heavy affliction, the real challenges, don't you begin grasping for some deliverance? Don't you begin grasping for things to get out of it? It's almost as if you begin, you know, like you're thrown out into the deep water and you, every little twig that goes by you're trying to grab and every little branch trying to grab to get out of it and as you grab it you realize it's not enough to get you out of it to take away the pain the suffering the whatever you're going through to finally the only thing that really helps is when you're like duh god's the only one i got he's the only one that can help me in the middle of this and you cling you let go of that other stuff and along the way, you love God more, you hold on to Him more, and you realize like, wow, God really does have me way more than I realized. And wow, I was holding on to some other stuff that I didn't realize I was holding on to. 
And it has a way of purifying us. It has a way of removing that. God removes all of those things over time in our life, revealing to us. And, And as He reveals them to us, we begin to confess them and we begin to say, God, forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me. I didn't realize that I had a faith substitute in that area of my life. I put my hope and confidence in something that wasn't real, that wasn't of you, Lord. And God uses those afflictions to do that. We need to get to the point where the the writer of Psalms says this in, in chapter 121. It won't be on your screen, but listen to this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He says, guys, when I'm in trouble and I need help, I lift my eyes up there because that's where my help comes from. It comes from the Lord, the one who made this heaven and earth. I'm not grasping at anything around here. There's another in the Psalms that says, or Psalms or the Proverbs says that, that some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Some may trust in the tangible things around them, but we're going to trust in God. We could substitute that today. Some may trust in their 401k, but we're not going to do that. We're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some may trust modern medicine and COVID vaccines, and but we're not going to do that. We're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some may trust in their job and their employer, but we're not going to do that. We're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some may trust in their own resources, their own abilities, and their own brain power, and their own strength. But we're not going to do that. We're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. He goes on and he says this. He says, He, talking about God, will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Isn't it nice to know that God never takes a nap? He never gets distracted. He's never busy watching the Jets or the Giants or the Bills. He never is off duty. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. He doesn't throw shade on you. He is your shade to protect you, to cover you from the blistering elements. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from then this time forth and forevermore. See, that's what God is building into your life with afflictions. That's what God is trying to do with your, your neighbors and your co-workers and your families. If they don't know the Lord Jesus, He's allowing affliction in their life for them to see that their faith substitutes, the things that they're trying to hold on to really can't take care of them and their coping mechanisms, and their whatever it is that they're grabbing a hold of. And He has you in their life so that you can love them enough and along the way point them and help them to look up, to realize there's a God in heaven that loves them at their very specific point of need and to help them to realize that He demonstrated on the cross and that He wants to enter into a relationship with them and that by faith they can turn to Him and be saved of their sin and have that kind of comfort. When you see God doing it in your life and those, your family and friends that know Jesus, just know that He's trying to purify your faith and He's trying to grow you even more to that point. So you can either go along with it 
Or you can kind of like kicking and screaming, hold on to that other stuff. And God's like, I guess I got to turn the heat up a little bit more. <laughs> I guess I guess it's got to get a little bit hotter in here. I guess, I guess they got to be a little more bankrupt or a little whatever financially or a little more. God, God is very careful to watch all of those things, but to do it in such a way that He sustains us, but He purifies our faith. And He does it in a way that He removes those substitutes and He removes the fear and the doubts. And He gives us confidence because we walk around and we're like, man, I know God's got me. Here's what I went through. And it builds such a strength and a confidence and removes that fear and those anxieties and those worries because of what He's done in our life. Third thing, third purpose, powerful purpose for affliction, is God allows us in our lives individually to bring us together corporately. He wants to use affliction to bring us together. Look what, look what Paul says in verse 8 through 11. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia when he was ministering there in, in Turkey and in, in that part of the world. He's on the kind of the middle of the Mediterranean there in Greece, I guess backwards. So he's over here in Greece and Turkey was over here, Asia. He said, We don't want you to, to be ignorant about that, unaware that we experienced. He says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We thought we were going to die. We were under so much affliction, we thought we were going to die. Indeed, in verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We thought we were dead men. I can get the picture why. He was stoned and left for dead. In fact, his vitals were so low, people walked away and said, He's done. And they left him and apparently spent the night bleeding and bruised and, and gets up and, you know somehow miraculously walks away. I get why he thought he had the death sentence. He thought that before God that that was what was going to be required of him. But he says this, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. That's the part I was talking about earlier that purifies our faith. God allowed that to teach us not to rely on us, but to teach us to rely on God. And not just any God, but the God who raises us from the dead. Folks, if you can raise somebody from the dead, you can do anything. Is there anything you can't do if you have the power of death? There is nothing you can't do. And that's what Paul is telling him. He says, look, he says, He delivered us. In verse 10, He delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope, purified it. My hope's not here, 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 here. It's on Him that He will deliver us again. Verse 11, And you also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. What God, when an affliction comes into your life, God is trying to pull us together. The life of following Jesus is not a solo act. It's not an individual sport. If it was Olympics, it's not an individual race. It's a medley. It's a team sport. It's more like volleyball. It's us working together. And when one is suffering, one is struggling, we all suffer. And Paul tells us that God, God is bringing this in. 
And it's for the church, as he's writing to a local church, to come and learn how to comfort one another. You see, God doesn't not only want to be the only one that strengthens us to put some lolly columns under us, to bolster us, to help us, to support us, to lift us up. But He in turn, when He lifts us up individually, He wants us to turn around and, as it were, pay it forward, to reciprocate that, to give that to the comfort that God has comforted us with. He wants us to turn around and to share it. It's like, it's like we go through the crucible and the fire that God in turn around as we are, as, as we go through that and as we are strengthened, as we're tempered and our faith is made stronger, just like heating up metal so it's tougher and stronger and as it cools down, it's called tempering. God wants to do that in our faith and then He in turn wants us to help others as they walk through that process. That's why earlier on He says that same comfort that I've comforted you with, that you may in turn, in verse 4, may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Oftentimes we want to hear from people who've gone through the exact same thing that we've gone through. Miscarriage, divorce, loss of a loved one, bankruptcy, families who are persecuting you because of your faith, families that won't accept your, your Christian lifestyle before Jesus. Oh, the list could go on and on and on. Job loss, all kinds of things. And, and we, we want to hear from people that have the exact same experience. And, and not only that, to kind of take a little bit further, we also want to hear from people like of our same age group and demographic. You know, we kind of, we tend to want to be very homogeneous in our comfort, if you will, in our life. But what God tells us is, is that I'm doing this so that you can comfort, in verse 4, those who are in any affliction. Any affliction. You see, there's a level at which when God comforts you, and whatever that affliction may be that you've gone through in life, the deep wounds that you experience, the deep challenges, the deep difficulties, that God wants to strengthen you to show Himself real, to comfort you, to purify your faith in a way that people who are going through other stuff that you haven't gone through, you may not have gone through that, but you know what it is to really know God and to have God show up and on time and just in the nick of time and just what you need in little and profound ways to, make, to take that story in your life and regardless of what the other person, how similar it is to your experience or dissimilar, but that same well of, of blessing and comfort that God has forged into your soul, He wants to in turn help you to help the next person in their life. Well, Sean, I don't know anything about this or what that person's going through. I've never lost everything in a fire. No, but you know what affliction and suffering is. And you know what it's like when the God of heaven comforts you and meets your need and God wants to use you to turn around and bless those around you. It means then when you and I are going through that affliction, that God has people around us, that He wants to bolster us, 
And we're in a very Western culture here that likes everything very individualized. I can do it. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. And actually, you do. And we do. And what God is saying is, is no, you need somebody to come alongside you and to be strengthened with what they have had. He uses it to bring us together to provide that care and that comfort. That, that empathy is what this is really producing you know, sympathy is when you just say, oh, I'm sorry, and we just, you know, offer sympathy. Empathy is when you can kind of step into their shoes and walk through that. And what the Bible's telling us is, is, is because of our relationship in Christ and what God has done and the Holy Spirit in our life, that we can empathize as Christians more than we do. And we should tap into that in our own struggles and out of that well of care and compassion and grace and mercy and love and tenderness, firmness if needed, we turn around and we help others and we reach out to them and theirs. Being careful not to read our story into theirs because that's their life and our life is different, but nonetheless to help them. And not only is we, is it bring us together so we can show that comfort and care, but it allows us to pray for one another in a profound and significant way. Paul says this in verse 11, look, he says, you also must help us. It's like, guys, we need this help by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That word help, Paul says, you must help us. It means to work together. Paul, when he was struggling, he said, look, guys, I need it. I need you. I really need your prayers. It's not cliche. It's not just blowing off of, well, I'm praying for you, but it's legitimate and real because it's people working together to provide that support and that strength that people need. This past week, I think I'd mentioned before, I have a, a friend, a pastor friend who had cancer, terminal cancer, and is really struggling. And I found out last, uh, yeah, just, just this past, past week that he was... Um, was in the emergency room, had emergency surgery and all of that, and then uh, wasn't doing well, but it'd come through okay. And then several days later, uh, there was a complication. He had a blood clot in his arm and uh, let loose and went into cardiac arrest. And I found out Friday he was on life support. This is a pastor in the Poughkeepsie area, one of our sister churches, one of the churches that I, as part of my role in ministry, helped you know coach and support and work through uh, and all of that. And Anyway, long story short, he died yesterday morning. I must, I must admit to you, just feeling so helpless as a pastor, you know, just, what can I do? I can't do anything. Helpless, you know. I wanted to come see him in the hospital, but the hospital is only allowing one person a day, and not one person at a time, one person a day. You know, I said, I text him, I'm like, I want to come see you, you know, knowing that might be my last chance. And he said, well, I'll see you when I get out. And I thought... I doubt that's going to happen, and sure enough. But you know what Paul's telling us, guys? When our friends and our loved ones are in the middle of affliction, our prayers are absolutely 100% legit. It is real. When you and I are praying for those who are struggling, those who are under affliction, those who are whatever the difficulty may be, it's legit and real. It's you rolling up your sleeves getting down in there and doing some heavy lifting with them. So it's a challenge to us to pray, to take it seriously, 
But it's also an encouragement to us to say, you really are doing something. You're not just doing nothing and just like blowing a kiss at them or, you know, blowing bubbles. You're just, you're legitimately praying. So God is a God of all comfort. There's a purpose to reveal His character, to purify our faith, and to teach us to care for one another as a church body and to care for those around us. He, he puts us together and He uses it all. So church, we shouldn't shun those afflictions. At some level, we should embrace them. We should accept them. We should look to God who gives us strength, but to look to one another. And I don't know what affliction you're going through right now, what comes to your mind, what pressure you're under, what suffering you're experiencing. I don't care whether it's maybe stuff self-inflicted that you've done yourself. God is still gracious if you turn to Him in the middle of that. It's how He gets our attention. Or if it's things beyond your control, God is still sovereign over all of that. And He will give you the strength and the comfort. He will bring that deliverance to you and to care for you. So this morning as we turn to our Lord's Supper, what a phenomenal way to help us to remember the importance of what's in front of us. You can go ahead and grab the little cup in front of you. And uh, just, just as a reminder, there's two little things here, right? There's two tabs. i got to put my glasses on it because I can't see it without them. But there's a little top tab that's clear. That gives you, when you pull that back, that gives you the wafer. And then the purple aluminum tab is the juice. So don't do the juice one yet. You'll, you'll spill it on yourself for sure. I would. And, uh, and when you do pull that one back finally in a minute, be careful. Because you, if you just go yanking that thing, you're, you're going to throw juice all over the place, all right? So... Uh, what a great reminder for us is remember our Lord's death on the cross, that He paid for our sins, that He's the God of all mercies, and it's out of this death and sacrifice that we're being reminded that He comforts us. That's the source of our comfort. It's through a relationship with Him. And as we take of this, that it's out of that whole relationship and all of that comfort that this represents that we in turn share that with others. That's why that we're to remember this regularly, because we need it. We need it in our life, not these two little elements. There's nothing special here. This doesn't taste very good, but that's not the point. It's, it's what it symbolizes. It's merely a picture of Jesus' body and blood, that He died on the cross for our sins, and His blood is what covers our sins, His taking the punishment for our sin. So this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've really surrendered and put your faith in Jesus alone, then we invite you to participate in this. This will do nothing to save you from your sin. I promise you, nothing. Can't, can't do anything. But Jesus is the one who can, and He does. So I'm going to read in, in light of, of, of what I mentioned earlier, Romans. I'm going to read to you just a passage out of Romans 3, a reminder of those mercies, kind of the, the source, the well out of which all of those mercies are. This is, this is Romans 3. I want you to listen, verse 21. Just listen to this. It won't be on the screen. The Bible says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, God's righteousness, 
through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Period. For everybody who believes, it's God's righteousness through our faith in Jesus Christ. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. In other words, we're, we're, made, we're declared righteous by His grace, by His free gift of love, He's saying, as a gift. Not anything that we do, but as a gift. You don't do anything to earn a gift. A gift is a gift because of what the giver has, and it's out of their resources, not out of what the receiver has. This is God's grace, God's gift to us out of what He has done. Through the redemption, that's the payment that Jesus did, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation in His blood. That word propitiation means that God poured out His wrath and His punishment that was due us because of our sin, because He was angry and offended and his ho- out of holiness, but He in turn moved it from us to Jesus. He put forward Jesus as a propitiation by His blood to be received by you and me by faith, He says. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, in other words, God restraining divinely Himself, He had passed over former sins. Talking about your sins and mine. God, because of Jesus dying in our place, God can now look over our sins. It's all about what Jesus did. It was to show His righteousness at the present time that He might be just, in other words, right and good. How could God be right and good if He just let anybody get off with sin? How could He let liars and cheaters and and everybody... He'd be bad if He called them good. But that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, He might declare us righteous because He made a swap. Our sins got paid for, they got paid on Jesus. And God could remain good and call us good because He looked at His Son and said, you've taken all of that bad. You're the one who's been bad on behalf of these individuals. Folks, that's the mercies of God. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this wafer represents the body of Jesus. The juice reminds us of His blood. And it's a reminder that God's wrath has been moved off of us onto Jesus, that He loves us. And He has loved and accepted His Son. That payment's paid in full. God isn't pouring out wrath on Jesus anymore. Proof, He's risen from the dead. And it's proof that He's a God of comfort and mercies to you and me. We should live within that as we've talked about. So as we eat and partake of this this morning, let's give thanks to our Lord first. Father, thank You that Jesus died and He rose again. Thank You for these mercies. Thank You not just for the testimony, but the reality of our salvation through the Lord Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. And if you open that cup carefully... The Bible says as often as we do this, we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It's a great way to end our service. Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray one more time. Fathers, we leave this place. We proclaim Jesus' death 
in our life together as a church. And Lord, may we share it this week in the form of comfort and hope and your mercies. Father, help put people in our path that we may share that with to give them hope and answers to their life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a blessed, wonderful week. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.